In today's lesson from John's Gospel, Jesus' disciples encounter a man blind from birth and the very first thing they ask Jesus is, what on earth did he do? And if not him, then his parents. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who's to blame for this man's misfortune? Why is he suffering like this? The question the disciples asked was echoing the belief of many of their time, and it's a question that reflects a narrow theology of God's justice, a narrow belief about God's justice. The assumption here is that if people suffer something catastrophic in their lives, then they must have done something bad to deserve it. Still today, there are those who, when something tragic happens in their life, ask, what did I do wrong that this is happening to me? Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus' response to his disciples' question is straight and to the point. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Nobody's fault. Don't look for an answer to fit your question where none exists. This is not what God does. He's not a vindictive God. He's not a spiteful God. Then he says, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now this second part of his statement does not mean that God inflicted blindness upon the man so he could later heal him. This verse doesn't mean that God goes around causing pain and hurt in people's life so that later he can show mercy and as a result get all the glory. Rather, what Jesus is saying is, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do in this situation. If you remember last week, we saw something similar in the story of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused by his master's wife and thrown into prison, left there for years until his gift for interpreting dreams brought him to Pharaoh. And from there he rose to become second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. Later, when he meets his brothers again, he was able to look back on his life and say, that something good could come out of what happened to him. You sold me, God sent me. As it was with Joseph, so it is with this man born blind. When you think about it, to Jesus' listeners, his response might have sounded quite amazing and not at all what they were used to or indeed expected. In his response, Jesus didn't use this blind man's plight to deliver a moral judgment on him or on his parents, nor did he use it to try and defend God. Rather, Jesus sees it for what it is, an opportunity, a chance for God's work to be revealed, not in moral statements, not in theological arguments, not in trying to have a discussion about suffering in this world, but in an act of mercy and healing and saving. It's probably true to say that we would all prefer some kind of an answer to the question of suffering because if we can know why, if the why has an answer, then we feel we can cope better. And when you think about it, people do it all the time. They see people who are homeless and they feel better if they can say, well, they must have done something to get themselves into this predicament. 
So it's up to them to get themselves sorted out and find a job and then they can afford a home. They see those in other countries who are hungry or trying to survive a civil war or fleeing to other countries, becoming refugees because they fear for their lives and the lives of their families. And they feel better when they can say that is because of their corrupt governments over there somewhere. And it's up to them to do something about it. The thing is, the they I speak about is sometimes us. We see suffering all around us and if we can come up with an answer to the why, then we feel so much better and our conscience doesn't bother us so much because why it's happening is not our fault and therefore demands nothing of us. But that's not how Jesus responds. Jesus sees suffering and he doesn't ask why, he asks how. He asks, how can I respond? How can I heal this suffering? He sees the need of the blind man and he heals him. And this act tells us something important about Jesus in this situation. He cared more about the person than he did the theology or social ramifications. And what's more, he didn't mind getting his hands dirty, literally as well as figuratively. I've always thought that there was another important thing for us to note in this story, something that perhaps asks us to consider swift action rather than prolonged discussion. You see, if we look closely at our Gospel lesson for today, we can see it takes only seven verses for Jesus to respond to this man's plight, for the miracle to happen and this man's life to be changed and 27 for the debate, the discussion, the questioning, for sides to be taken, and in the end for the man to be pushed out by his community. But his story continues and we're told he is welcomed by Jesus. This whole story is underpinned with some statements made by Jesus at the beginning of this story and I want us to touch base with them before I close. First, Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Then he goes on to say, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The emphasis here is on the we, we doing the works of God. Jesus included his disciples in doing the work of God and through them, us as well. When we come across someone in need, we can respond in one of four ways. The four ways we see in this story, we can either condemn them or treat them with indifference as some of the religious leaders tended to do. We can see that in Luke's Gospel. We can treat them as a subject of the a theological puzzle or we can show God's love for them by coming alongside them and offering help. Jesus wanted his followers then and now to do the latter, while we still have the opportunity to do so. And I suppose that's the message that I want us to leave with today. When people are in need, then is not the time to pass judgment on them, or sit back and have a theological debate, or even enter into a long debate about our response, our helping strategy. 
When people are hurting, we should ignore our first instinct to know why it's happened and instead cultivate a new reaction and look at how we can respond. When people are facing unbelievable hardship, we need to remember the one who came in order to bring life and light, peace, forgiveness, to create new opportunities where there has been brokenness, emptiness and devastation. There are some situations where we feel at a loss as what to do because we often seek a practical hands-on solution. But let's not forget that prayer is practical as well as a spiritual response. I have struggled with what to say in relation to the events in Ukraine because there is so much to say. I think most of us hoped that we would never have to be confronted by something that has not only overturned the lives of the Ukrainian people, but has also thrown the threat to peace and security for other nations into the firing line too. Our hearts bleed for the countless innocent people caught up in the conflict, those being stopped from leaving the country and conscripted into the Ukrainian army as they try to get their families to safety. Those who are stopped from leaving because of government bureaucracy. Everything they know and love in danger of being lost and most frighteningly, those they love being killed. And our hearts ache too for those in Russia who are protesting against this action and the threat they face because of that. So in the coming days, I encourage you to pray for them all. Pray for the world leaders. Pray for an end to Russian aggression and pray for peace. We know other countries in our world endure or face similar threats and we continue to pray for them too. But for now, we take the time to bring before God our prayers for others.